My friends, there's great news, the best news of all time in space, that the God of the universe has come looking for us. And again, as we have just sung, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life an atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. All, remember, on the night in which the God of the universe was born to us as the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, Luke tells us in that region there were shepherds, lowly shepherds, disregarded people, keeping watch over their flock by night. And then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing good news of great joy to all the people, for you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. That Savior, Jesus Christ, was born for you and for me and for the condition that we could not reverse, but that he reversed by his own shed blood. And it changes every day of our lives, and it leads us home. May we proclaim it to the world and give God the glory, because in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen. Every week, for the glory of God. And that's, what the, that's the pillar we stand upon today. The, the Reformation pillar of to God alone be glory. We're going to talk about that for just a little bit this morning. So let's turn in God's word to some specific places where that is spoken of. First, in the letter to the Ephesians, the very first chapter, verses 4 through 6, and then verses 11 and 12. Listen to God's word as I read it for us. I'm going to back up to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, capital B, in Jesus. Verse 11. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. That's what we live for, the praise of his glory. In the 11th chapter of Romans, listen to what Paul says in verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. They can't be questioned. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him to receive a gift in return? Who has enough to give God on a fair trade level? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To 
to him be the glory forever. Amen. And then from the prophecies of Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Listen to this. God's word proclaiming God's glory. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up and high, against all the cedars of Lebanon, or sequoias of the coast, lofty and lifted up, and against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the high mountains, and against all the lofty hills, against every high tower, and against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, and against all the beautiful craft, the haughtiness of people shall be humbled, and the pride of everyone shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted on that day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God teach us through the hearing of his word, through the power of his Holy Spirit, what it means to know his glory and give him glory and make his glory known. Let's pray. Our Father, let your good news come now and find us in all of its fullness, not only in word, but in your power, in the full assurance of your Holy Spirit, so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. And so we pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. It's essential for us to know what it means to glorify. And I think a lot of times that gets lost or we glorify things in a very futile sort of way. We glorify people on television or in the movies. We glorify sports heroes. We glorify things that we make. But to glorify God, that's a whole different deal. You see, when we glorify something, we make it known. We reveal it. That's what the word glorify means. By the way, doxology means to give glory. Doxa is the Greek word for glory. We give glory to God alone. There's no need. We come up with, with science fiction stuff. Uh, there's the latest Star Wars is, is out now, and, and crowds are, are flocking to it, I, I presume, as they always do. But the reality is what God has done is far, far greater. At the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena some years ago, Dr. Robert Jastrout, not a believer necessarily, said, you know, for all the exploring we're doing and for all the, the trying to conquer space, when we finally reach the final frontier and we get to that place where we think we have really discovered everything, we will, as scientists, crest that last frontier and we will look down into that space and there will be a group of theologians that have been there all along. <laughs> to give glory to God is to realize it is not us that, that finds God, it is God finding us. And that is the glory that we explore as those in the Reformed tradition who realize it's never going to be we who make ourselves hopeful, that it is not going to be 
anyone out there or any institution out there, not even the church itself that's going to give us hope. It's going to be the glory of God shining upon us and saying, I have chosen you before the foundations of time to be my own, and I have come to set you free with the life and the death and the resurrection, the shed blood of my own son, and nothing else is going to do that. That's what glory is. And we give glory to God when we realize that, that nothing else even comes close, that nothing compares to that. What happens when we make giving God glory rather than ourselves, it's a very interesting thing. Maybe you've heard that expression. It's a very powerful thing to recognize what happens when everyone gets together and isn't worried about who gets credit for what takes place. When we give God glory, we come together and we say, this is for you, God. It's not about me. It's not about my team. It's not about who wins or loses on a human level. It's about saying, this is for you. And what is powerful is what happens when we let God's Holy Spirit unite us around God's word to recognize that that's the only thing that matters. Is God getting the glory? But way too often our sinful selves say, well, but I think it really needs to happen this way. Really? God says, listen to me. You see, that's what he's saying in Isaiah. Things will be brought low. All the things that we thought were lofty and high and powerful before the foundations of time. God said to who? The shepherds, go tell everyone. And they glorified God. Who? The shepherds. We're here because some obscure people whose names we don't even have listed, who were regarded culturally as, as utterly valueless, came and told the story. God is here. God is here. They were terrified. They should have been terrified. We should be terrified. Annie Dillard once, once said in, in her book, A Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, when people come to church, the ushers should not pass out bulletins. They should pass out crash helmets. <laughs> There's something powerful going on here. What was essential in the Reformation and why it is today is that those people like Martin Luther and John Calvin standing on the shoulders of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John realized the only thing that matters is that God has saved us and redeemed us and is making us whole and has promised us eternity. Baseball Hall of Fame uh, election took place this week. I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring that up. <laughs> Trevor Hoffman got in. But some years back, the late Gary Carter got in. And uh, we played high school baseball at the same time. He was quite a bit better than I. But in the 1986 World Series, he was voted the most valuable player. And as he came off the field, as you've often seen in these locker room experiences, the champagne's flowing and microphones and this, that, and the other thing. And they thrust the microphone into Gary Carter's face. And they said, Gary, you've just won the World Series. The Mets have won the World Series. How does it feel to be the most valuable player? Gary Carter stopped and he said, you know, before I say anything else, I want to say thank you to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, because you see, if it were not for him, I would not even be on this field. 
I am so grateful to even be a Major League Baseball player and to be alive, and it is only because of him that I am. That's what it means to give glory to God. That is not some gratuitous grandstanding. That is simply saying, you know what? It doesn't matter what I do for life, for a living. I could be a shepherd because I'm giving glory to God, and when I do that, everything else pales in comparison. Each of these scriptures call us to be giving glory to God such that the only thing that matters is our belonging to Him. Our time, our resources, our children, our past, our present, our future. This scripture says, before the foundations of time, God chose you to belong to Him and destined you that you would know the hope and the assurance of being His. And that is all that will matter. But when we come to trust in other things, we diminish that glory. We take the light off of where it really needs to be. You know, years ago, and I've shared this with a number of you, and some of you remember this, there was the great unveiling of the new cars every year. And on Bonanza, on Sunday nights, they would say, this Wednesday, go to your Chevy dealers. They were sponsored by Chevy. For those of you who are Ford fans, you can think that way. Uh, and we will be unveiling the new cars. And people got all excited about it. They got dressed up. The family piled into the car, and you went down to the Chevy or Ford or whoever dealer to see that because they were giving away free popcorn and hot dogs. And, and there were Klieg lights, they called them, the big old searchlights. And you could see them swinging all over town. And you got there, three, two, one, and the cover came off. Ooh, ah, they were glorifying the new Chevys, which at the time seemed pretty cool. <laughs> but what it really means to glorify is to realize who's doing the glorifying. It's not us. John Ortberg, who's pastor at Menlo Presbyterian, describes this. He said, many years ago I was walking in Newport Beach in Southern California, I was with two friends and two of us were on staff at a church and one was an elder in the church and we walked past a bar where a fight had been going on inside. We were down at the beach and the fight spilled out onto the street just like in an old western, you know, doors come flying open and several guys were beating up on another guy and he was bleeding from the forehead. We knew we had to do something. Pastors, big tough guys, you know. So we went over to break up the fight, and I don't think that we were very intimidating. All we did was walk over and say, hey, you guys, cut that out. You know, they were real scared of us. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they looked at us with fear in their eyes. Like their eyes got huge. And the guys who had been beating up on the one guy stopped, and they started to slink away. And I didn't know why until I looked behind me. <laughs> and out of the bar had come the biggest man I have ever seen <laughs> in my life. He was something like six foot seven, maybe 300 pounds, about 2% body fat, just huge. We'll call him Bubba. We didn't call him that to his face, but <laughs> Bubba didn't say a word. Bubba didn't have to say a word. He just stood there and flexed. <laughs> you, wanna, you want some of this? 
you could tell he was hoping they would try to have a go at him. Come on, come on. And all of a sudden, my attitude was transformed. John said, I said to those guys, those, those guys were fighting, we better not catch you doing this again. <laughs> you better not come around here anymore. We're the law around here. He says, I was a different person because I had a great big bubba. I was ready to confront and resolve with firmness anything that came along. I was released from anxiety and fear. I was filled with boldness and confidence. I was ready to help somebody that needed helping. I was ready to serve where serving was required. Why? Because I had a great big bubba and I was convinced that I was not alone. I was safe. That's giving glory. If I were convinced that Bubba were with me 24 hours a day, I would have a fundamentally different approach to my life. If I knew Bubba was behind me all day long, you wouldn't want to mess with me. But he's not. I can't count on Bubba. But we can count on God. We can give glory to God by saying, he's with me. So when anxiety and fear or doubt or anger or frustration or whatever come in, we give glory to God and we say, you're in charge. You're going to take care of the situation, this transition, whatever it is, whether it's the next pastor or where we move in life or how we grow old or how we grow up or what we're going to do about our finances. We belong to God and we give God glory when we go, I'm not afraid. Whatever it is, bring it on. You want some of this? I've got God. And that's not Pollyanna thinking. That's promise. God chose us before the foundations of the world to make that known. Again and again, the writers of Scripture pose this question for us. How big is your God? And again and again, we are reminded that the one who is greater than Bubba has come. And you don't have to wonder whether or not he'll show up. Of course he will, because he hasn't left. He's always there. You don't have to be afraid. That's what the angel said to the shepherds. Don't be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy to all the people. For this day is born in the city of David, what? A savior, a rescuer. Give him glory. And they did. You don't have to live your life in hiding. You have a great big God, the biggest, the greatest, beyond our imagining. And he's called you to do something. He's called us all to do something, and that is to give him glory, to live for him. Giving glory to God alone is so important because when we're not, we're relying on something less. 500 years ago, the reformers said what needs to be said to our world and to us today no power on earth, no scheme of man is going to make things right. But when we, in our very small, timid ways, are relying upon giving glory to the one who alone has made all that is, we have power, dunamis, dynamite, beyond our imagining, and the impossible can and will happen, and our role is to do something very simple. Step back and let what's behind us show up in the face of whatever's facing us. And to say to that thing, you better not come around here anymore. Missionary Jim Elliott 
describes what this glory is in an entry in his journal in 1951. He wrote something that uh, is most profound. I, I've shared it with you. He wrote, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot earn. And in his journal, he, he wrote this. I walked out to the hill just now. It was exalting, delicious, to stand embraced by the shadows of a friendly tree when the wind is tugging at your coattail and the heavens hailing your heart to gaze and glory and to give oneself to God again. What more could a man ask? Oh, the fullness, pleasure, sheer excitement of knowing God on earth, here and now. I care not if I never raise my voice again for him, if only I may love him, please him, may have in mercy. He shall give me a host of children. Maybe I'll have a whole bunch of kids that I may lead through the vast star fields to explore his delicacies, whose fingers ends set them to burning. Let me show my kids what God has done. But if not, if only I may see him, smell his garments, and smile into my lover's eyes, ah, then not stars, not children shall matter, only himself. Jim Elliot died, the spear of the Alka Indians, who ultimately came to faith in Jesus Christ when they realized what it was Jim was pointing to, who it was Jim was pointing to. We don't write like this much anymore. Is, is 1951 so long ago? No. And yet, this is what it means in our broken world to proclaim the glory of God, to say, all I want to do is love you, God, to people who don't know it. And it's not going to happen through new or loud or fancy formulas. It comes through letting the light of Jesus Christ shine out through our lives that have been broken and made whole. God wants us to know this glory because God wants to show the glory and the power that comes from leaning into him alone and discovering what that means. Let me me conclude with this. In an article in the Wall Street Journal, the writer shared a funny story from the life of baseball great Joe DiMaggio. It was the summer of 1945, and World War II had just ended. And like many of, this is amazing in itself, like many of the great athletes, he'd been out in the the service. DiMaggio had been in the Navy. Former soldiers, including baseball stars, came back into America and American life, and Yankee slugger Joe DiMaggio was trying to be Yankee fan Joe DiMaggio as he came back. So he snuck in to the mezzanine at Yankee Stadium with his four-year-old son, Joe Jr., before he'd even gone down into the locker room. He, he didn't want anybody to know. He was just there to watch. But a fan noticed him, and then another. And soon throughout the stadium, people were chanting, Joe, Joe, Joe DiMaggio, DiMaggio. And he moved down to see if his son had noticed the tribute. And little Joe Jr. said, see, Daddy? See, everybody knows me. (laughs) 
I like the way Steve Farish reflects on this story. The junior Joe DiMaggio made the innocent child's mistake, and I'm not so sure it was a mistake, of assuming all the glory at Yankee Stadium that summer afternoon in 1945 belonged to him and not to his father. Because you see, that's what God wants to do. When we give God glory, it reflects back onto us, and he wants people to be able to say, you're great because God is great. Human beings, however, make a far less innocent mistake. When we live our lives as if it were all about us and our glory, rather than about our Heavenly Father, Paul writes in Romans 1.21 that the fundamental sin of the human heart involves a purposeful failure to honor God or give God glory and thanks to Him because He's the one who alone is due our worship. I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, he writes, that you give your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may show what is the good and right and perfect will of your Father. And what is our Father's desire? That we would give him glory. Today, may we live in this glory and make known this glory to our world and call the world away from anything less, from those hollow ways of thinking and into the presence of the one who alone is able to make us whole because he has and he is and he will and he loves you. Give him glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, what a treasure it is to be able to sing and live and breathe for your glory. And we pray that we would understand that when we're making lunch or sitting at our computers or reading the paper or talking to a neighbor or standing in line or worrying that you would be the one who breathes into us through your Holy Spirit that powerful gift so that you alone would be receiving that reflection that the world needs to see. Lord Jesus, we pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. Here's how we give glory to God. It's by realizing that we are not even close to being in charge. God is in control of everything. And because he is, we can recall and give God glory every day by recognizing we go nowhere by accident. Where we go... God is sending us where we are. Our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it and rejoice in it, give thanks to God for it, and go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way.